Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Our podcast talks to the authors about themselves, their latest books, and we also talk about their ideas. We also try to find out the story behind each one of those books. I wish you'd been with us before I started recording. I have been having such a wonderful time with my guest today. He is charming, delightful, and I can't wait to introduce you to him. His name is Peter Massam, and he's here to talk about the second book in his trilogy, Learning Experience Trilogy, and the title of the book is Moose Conquering Fear. Now, I know, Peter, that we got their attention right away with the title of that book. It is such a pleasure to have you. I am enjoying you so much. I know that our listeners can't wait to meet you. Thanks for being my guest today. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm looking forward to it, as ever. You know, I'm always curious, and you and I don't think have talked about this. Writers become writers for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's as simple as they're a reader as a child, somebody's style captivates them and they begin to write. Sometimes there's a person that they either admire or there's a family member who is a writer or there's a teacher or there's someone who recognizes a spark in a child and encourages them to write. Sometimes there is some cataclysmic event that happens in a person's life. And that may be a positive event or it may be a negative event, but there's a compulsion that happens as a result of the event. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they feel like they need to share that event with the world. I'm curious about how you started to write and how old were you? Any of those reasons or are there other reasons? Uh, I I think we've uh, probably touched on the inspiration, if you like, which goes back way back to my school days and having a marvellous English teacher uh, who was very quietly spoken but and respectful of the sixth formers in front of him. This is you know, 17, 18-year-olds who are young adults, effectively, and, and want to be treated as such. And he was very... Um, complimentary about our uh, skills, if you like, in English literature. And uh, it always, that, that sort of stays with you. It's, it's in the back of your mind that, you know, because if you have a love of, uh, of reading and literature later on in life, at whatever time it is, they, there is a, uh, a thought that, if, if if occasion demands it, then you can put pen to paper and do things with that. So in a in my business career, for example, uh, people would seek advice about how to word a certain email or a, a, a summary, uh, knowing that you can be concise and influence people. That's what it comes down to, I think, in business is using words and your voice to 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 influence people to make the right decisions or the decisions that are in your favor or your company's favor okay. but then you're quite right there is a cataclysmic thing aspect to these things as well which is that once you look back on uh 
your experiences and I my business world was very much focused on customer experience so that remained mid with me as a soapbox topic for many years and when you come towards the end of that career you tend to look back at the experiences you've had and for me for the last two years that I worked I couldn't wait to stop working because I wanted to get this out of my head and onto the page and I did it in a matter of um, I think it was 18 or 22 months maximum. Wow, um, for three books? Yes. So, yes, they're not very long, but that's by design so that people don't feel they're trying to wade into some huge tome. Um, so it's easier to digest. But, um, yes, and, I, and I, I really couldn't stop, and I'd just moved house as well. So having got that two months before, I think two months after moving in, I was at a stage where I thought, well, I'm I, I'm not settled, settled, but I, I'm in a place where I can uh, write now. And I just wanted to do it and get it out. So, yes, it all came out very quickly. And um, uh, although I have been, you know, I had cause to write other books uh, before. I think the first one was in 2003. Uh, and probably had been writing the occasional poem before that, um, just on the odd occasion when the uh, emotion moved me, I suppose. Which came first, writing fiction, or did poetry call you first? No, I think poetry came first, yes, definitely. You know, that explains, I think one of the things that that explains is the way that you write, I think poets, I admire poets very much, first of all, just because of the way you view the world and because of the way that you can use the language. And I think that that shows your command and your use of the language shows in the book, the poetry comes through. You don't, you didn't write the book in poetry, but I'm a former English teacher too. So as I read what you wrote, I could hear you can just hear the poetry. I mean, that may not make sense, but it makes sense in my head because you can hear the command of the language and using the right word and using the right turn of phrase. So it's really interesting. I was real curious about that because I know you've written some volumes of poetry and I was very curious about which came first. That's interesting that it was the poetry. Mm, Yes, and you're you're right. You know, choice of words is is always... uh, it's good to have that command, but also, I suppose, the sounds of words, too. Mm-hmm. So the choice isn't just about the um, the content or the context, but it's also the sound of the word and the uh, the letters that are in that word make it make that word either softer or harder. And the structure. It's structure, yes. too, as and well. That. Yeah. So that can have a, a, a bad effect on your listener or your the person you're trying to convince of something, or it can persuade them that actually, you know, there is a better way and they will listen to what you have to say. Well, let's talk about the trilogy and how Moose fits in, because the first book is titled Nipper. 
The second mm-hmm. book is the one that we're really talking about right now, Moose Conquering Fear. And then there's a third book called Know Your Mind. So Nipper is really sort of an introductory book so that we meet our character, George, for the first time, right? Yes. Any autobiographical things here? I mean, George is a fictional character, but is mm-hmm. Peter in there? <laughs> Peter has to be in there. In exactly. Way, because it's all about experience. So you you have to uh, uh, put those experiences in a detached way, if you like, so that you're not embroiled still in the emotions that are expressed in the books. But you're, you can take that slightly more detached view by putting it into a, a, a different character. Um, and you may have noticed that in the last book, I actually changed to a first-person narrator because being slightly more academic and philosophical in nature, I felt it was easier to ad- identify with George's mind and the thoughts that were going through his mind if he if he spoke in the first person. So that's uh, that was the that was the uh, concept behind it. What audience age group did you have in mind? Is there a different age group for each book? Uh, not really, because it's all about life's experience, and this is not. This, this can be looking back in retrospect as a, an older person, or looking forward as a younger person. It is also in most conquering fear. It's looking at life's challenges that are thrown in your direction. And how you can help you can help yourself come through those and come out the other side with a stronger understanding of what you're capable of in terms of how your mind deals with things and how you faced up to different situations and it's not always you know a a, a happy conclusion at each event, but certainly the majority moves towards the positive side. I think you've done something quite unique with the trilogy and with the books in general. You have a young male as your central character, and I know one of the things that you did that on purpose because often Mm -hmm. when you're reading a novel like this, the main character will be female, and we don't normally see what a young male goes through. I thought that was a very creative approach. Is that just how that came to you? to do it that way because that seemed right it, it i i have a, nothing but the greatest respect for um ladies that have written books novelists um in, in and the way in which uh they have if you like become respected from some terrible times in victorian times where things were really uh, you know, they were not appreciated for anything like the, the the span of knowledge and creativity and everything else that um, we've seen in um, in the last I don't know, 10, 20 years, I suppose. Um, and that includes in business, breaking through glass ceilings, you know, into the CEO positions and that sort of thing. I think all that is, is splendid. Um, and you're right, I 
the, the characters when you see things on TV or in a, in a film, they do tend, tend, they have tended to look at the female angle, and I particularly wanted to swap that over and back, if you like, to to a young male because of the in the high incidence that we saw, not just during COVID, but also before that, of um, of young male suicide. Um, which I felt was a terrible loss, both to society, to their families, and to the institutions and their friends at school, because you know, these things happened at that kind of age. And I wanted to, to the motivation, one of the strongest motivations was to help young lads in that situation where they're, you know, if they, where they, if they feel that there is no other resort, then you know, they, they they should have something where they can see that somebody else has been through a lot and has come through it very satisfactorily. And it's, um, you know, it's the, the whole thing is a learning curve, but at the same time, it's really so that not just the people that are going through it can see that, uh, that there's a shared experience there, but also that the parents equally can see what maybe they don't uh it's not to say they wouldn't notice but they haven't recognized maybe that some of their progeny are struggling with things because they keep quiet about it and boys do tend to keep quiet because of the expectation on them that you know they should in the uk keep a stiff upper lip um do the right thing. Bear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, and grin and bear it, and it it doesn't always work because the sometimes the mental pressures that that burdens you with just pile up higher and higher, and you you do feel as though there is no way out, and you know that certainly is true in one section of this book. That is one of the most difficult of all the circumstances, probably, and. Um, there are some decisions that have to be made that they have to be in a sort of cool light of day, but they have to be made during the uh, the most turbulent periods sometimes. So you, you have to appreciate what the impact is going to be of any decisions you make, whether it's personal relationships or business careers and that sort of thing. Um, and... Uh, and you do your best and you, you make what you think is the right decision and it um, um, usually turns out to be the right one in the end. Um, so, yes, let's have to face those challenges. Let's talk about George a little. Hmm. We meet him in Nipper. Now, how old is he when we first meet him in Nipper? Uh, he would be probably around eight somewhere between 8 and 10, I suppose. So in Nipper, George goes through, he goes through a lot in the book. Mm. He deals with a lot of different situations. So we take him mm. through Nipper. Where do we find him when we start he's, Moose Conquering Fear? Yeah, he's, uh, he. the last thing, when I say 8 to 10, that's when he, that's when the book starts. But by the time the book finishes, He's in an extended 
year after finishing school, so 1819. So it's just before going off to university. And that's where this this book begins. But it it sort of pre it previews before that a couple of fears which were latent fears from the Nipper times, which were mentioned in Nipper actually uh, about the dentist and also about water, fear of water, uh, which then could be countered because of when when going to um, university he could enjoy his his life there much more because the fear of water had literally subsided and submerged below the, the surface so uh, yes that's the, uh, the the time that we're looking at here is all the way through in fact I think the largest chunk of the book in the middle section is all about those university days and which include a year abroad as part of a ling- linguist course um, and and then out the other end uh, after some work experience abroad as well um, in falling into a first job and into a first relationship um, and Is- by the time we finish the book we're sort of just on the edge of a second relationship, I suppose. Is there a part of Moose Conquering Fear that you'd like to share with a listener? Uh, there is, yes. Um, it's slight, slightly longer than the last one I read for you. It's okay. Um, but that's probably... That, that's because this this extract really... I think every young couple go through it, which is that they find themselves in rented accommodation. It's not their own. They have to save for a deposit for a house if they want to. Well, most people want to buy a house in, in this country. Um, and it's finding a way of making ends meet, especially when um, maybe a child is on the way or is already with you. And if you're living in one of the more expensive counties in England, in the UK. So the read for you is um, comes after a, a of all sort of, of all things, an insurance man's visit to the house, <laughs> uh, which was quite unexpected and was was forgotten by George at the time. Uh, opened a door for him for a second job as an insurance salesman to bolster his income, having shared his problem with that insurance man. And uh, so he'd he'd gone off and done some training, uh, which they provided free of charge, of course. And this really recounts his first foray into that world. Daylight was still plentiful when George made his first foray into an estate, which he'd identified as a good place to start. As he made his way up the first short pathway to a bungalow, his heart was pounding and the butterflies kicked in. What if, echoed inside his head, he tried to banish it semi-successfully. 
A knock on the frosted glass brought a large male figure into focus and the door was thrown open by a loud voice. Yes, what is it? What do you want? I've come to ask you if you have any life insurance currently or are looking to... His words were cut short by the curt reply. No, and we don't need any, after which the door was closed firmly in his face. Guess that's a no, mumbled George to himself. Now I know what to expect. The next time will not be so bad, hopefully, said his slightly deflated but recovering ego. A similar bungalow with a red door seemed inviting. Looks can be deceptive. Another no, followed by a green and a blue door. He began to calculate theories in his mind. It seems as if door colour is not a strong indicator of willingness to spend on life insurance. <laughs> the evening wore on. He continued in vain to be invited in, before coming to a pleasant-looking extension with a bay window at the front. A car was parked in the drive, so he mustered his most confident but warm knock on its polished wooden door. The kindly-looking face of a gentleman in his late fifties greeted him, and he remarked how he and his wife had only been discussing the same the weekend before. What a piece of luck, George contemplated, as another, more plausible theory entered his head. At least I've got past the door. When asked to, he sat himself down on their ample mock-leather sofa next to the gent with his wife opposite, who made them all tea. The conversation continued in a forthright manner, holding nothing back and adding his own experience of the company over 20 years or more. I see. Poacher turned gamekeeper, eh? Or maybe it's the other way round. Anyway, you know what I mean. George did. He made to get up from the sofa, but sat back down again as he'd forgotten his last sentence he'd rehearsed, thinking that realistically realistically it would have no effect he thought twice about it so would you like to take out any insurance with us the words seemed at once strange but helpful and he hoped not too gauche had he become part of that family too now he dared not look up waiting for the inevitable yes i very much think we should like to do that what details do you need? George could not believe his ears and reconfirmed in what must have come across as utter astonishment. So you'd like to take out insurance today? Tonight? He faltered at the time, on the time as it had passed by so quickly, gazing out the bay window and seeing the evening already. As he gave a cheery wave goodbye from their front path, with the signed documents under his arm, he turned back to his car. Best to end on a good note, and it is getting late now, he thought out aloud, and with a spring in his tired step, glancing at his watch. Nearly nine. Time to head back. I love it. I will applaud your reading and applaud your writing. That's exactly what I was talking about you have a cadence, you have a way of turning a phrase, and you have a way of using words. You just pulled all of us right into George's misery and his victory. I love it, Peter. 
<laughs> I love it. You're a, just an excellent, excellent writer. Thank you. Yes, you're very kind. Now, let's tell our listeners, I know from after they've heard the excerpt and all of the information that we've given them previously, they're interested in where they can find a copy of the book. It's on Amazon. You can find actually all three of the books in the trilogy on Amazon. If you'll just put in the name of the book, which in this case is Conquering Moose, Conquering Fear. Moose, M-O-O-S-E. Yes, that's what I said. Conquering Fear by Peter, P-E-T-E-R, Massam, M-A-S-S-A-M. Put that in the search feature on Amazon and just click on it, and the book will come up. Now, you'll see two things. There will be a short description of the book on the right, and then if you look at the book cover, the representation of the book cover, in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see two words. Look inside. If you'll click on those two words, the book will electronically open, and you will be able to read an excerpt for yourself. You can also find the other two books. The first one is titled Nipper, N-I-P-P-E-R, also by Peter Massam. And the third one is Know Your Mind, also by Peter Massam. Now, Peter, if they don't want to go to Amazon, because they can buy the, all three books right there, but some people would prefer not to buy from the biggest bookseller in the world. Are there some other places that they can find the books? Uh, yes, they they should be able to go to uh, any of their local bookstores because the the wholesalers who supply them um, are a globally worldwide organisation called Gardner, and uh, they simply have to they would have either go into that bookstore or request it from the bookstore, and they would be able to source it from Gardner. Alternatively, of course, they can go to the publisher of this particular trilogy, uh, which is balboapress.com, and uh, they're available there for local delivery in the U.S. I also want us to talk about the fact that you are donating the proceeds of the sales of some of the books. Tell me about that donation process and what it's for. Uh, yes, as, 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 a, as an author, as every author knows, um, some of their books are usually available to them as a reasonable, generous discount. And I, I've founded or co-founded a wildlife club just before I moved, which is a strange occurrence. It was only four months before I moved, uh, but in my former village. Uh, with uh, two other ladies and I continue to support them by uh, taking books to the the events that they hold um, and selling them at a discount as well to people who wish to buy them and also the poetry books as well I take along uh, because they relate to the village in question and uh, donate all the proceeds to the wildlife club so that uh, more can be spent on enhancing their uh, local neighbourhood. Do they have a website? 
Uh, yes, they do. It's uh, it, it's an acronym. It's C. Uh, let me think. <laughs> oh, I put you on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I was about to give you the tennis clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! That would never do. Oh my goodness me! Um, no, it's called the the Burcott and Clifton Hamden Wildlife Club, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but if you were to go onto Facebook, there is a, a group there uh, which will take you to the website um, for them because I, I I I would I wouldn't like to give you the wrong one. I, I know it will begin with BCH because that's the Burcott and Clifton Hamden. But whether it goes on WC or not, I'm not sure. I don't think it does. So, um, yes, if, if people were to, um, and I, I'm quite a regular contributor to that um, Facebook group as well. Now, you also have a Facebook page and a website. Let's give the Facebook address so that people can find you on Facebook as well. Okay. Yes, do you have that in front of you? Because no, I, I know that's your job, not mine. Your job, not mine, Well, I know it's got a 33. It's peter.masson33 at facebook.com. So the next tricky question, Peter, is can you give them your, <laughs> <laughs> can you give them your website? That's... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that, that that would that would have to be uh, yes, that, that would have to be it really, because otherwise I would I would uh, point them towards LinkedIn um, from for other uh, things that I've done. And um, I do want to mention. Uh, let's just. I don't quit. have a personal website, shall I, I say? No, okay, but mm. you know, often if people will simply put the person's name in yes, Google, that's enough. Man, yes, enough. you can find all kinds of uh, information and places, etc. And possibly there's even uh, a link back to the wildlife website just because uh, you're I associated think, with it. Yes, I think um, uh, the, the person, because uh, I was chairman of the tennis club for a long time, and um, uh, he did some uh, SEO, it's called the optimization the search engine optimization on the on the web page. So yeah, I think when you do put my name in Peter Massam, you will find that I come out at the the top of that list. And then a few entries down, there aren't that many Peter Massams out there. I can tell you <laughs> from that. I wouldn't think so. No. Very quickly, <laughs> I I, one or two. I do mm. just want to mention your poetry because mm. I'm sure that some of our listeners, as they heard you read your prose, they became interested in your poetry because your prose is so beautiful. If your prose is this beautiful, then your poetry must be equally as beautiful. And I know that there, there are two poetry books that I'm aware of. The first one was mm-hmm. the Cuz, C-U-Z, collection mm-hmm. of poems. And then there's mm. second Cuz collection of poems. Tell me about that yeah. poetry and tell me what those involve. Uh, the, the first one uh, was a, really a harking back to those uh, school days with the English teacher. One of the 
um, one of the, the writers that I, an artist that I uh, respected a huge amount was William Blake. And not not just because he was a, a, a good poet and a, a, actually a very good illustrator, um, but also he was very much before his time. So he wasn't sort of appreciated much in his lifetime, but his fame sort of came later after his death. And one of the one of the works that's associated with him is the Songs of Experience and Innocence. I may have got that the wrong way around, um, which I've always been an admirer of. And I wanted to do a similar thing with the first in the Cuz collection. Um, and to do that, uh, I had to sort of enhance my <laughs> non-existent artist skills. So in my lunch times, uh, or one or two lunch times in a week in my last job, uh, there was a course that was being put on for free about sketching. Uh, I thought, well, I'll go, I'll go along then because I'd like to learn. I always like like sketching things, so I'll go along and learn a bit, a new skill, um, and use that to put together what I've called sketch poems, which were uh, centred on locations, both at work and, which was a very green space, and in the surrounding counties, there are three counties around here that are particularly uh, beautiful. Um, and I spent time doing a sketch, but I also took a photograph so that people could compare the two and also probably recognize more the, the place, the location from the photograph than they would necessarily from my <laughs> sketch, which is probably the poorer. But the, the, the it was a concept of putting pictures, images together with poetry that I was keen to do in to pay tribute to William Blake and my former English teacher, who are, as, as well as the, the lady who taught me how to sketch. Um, they're all mentioned in the preface of that first Cuz Collection book. I love the, I love the idea. I love the idea. Mm. Former English second, teacher. Yes, love the idea. Former yeah. English teacher. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the second one, uh, and I did ask permission from the school because he's passed away many years ago, if uh, I could credit him in the um, or mention his name in the preface, and they agreed to that. And then in the second Cal's Collection book called uh, Reflections in a Country Garden, uh, I wanted to capture, before I left my last house which was bigger than the house I'm in now because I was downsizing um, and it had a lovely garden which I um, maintained all the time all the 11 years that I was there and planted with various things and made some changes as you do but when I walked around the garden as I like to do because it was about a third of an acre wow. um, it was it occurred to me that Every time I looked at a flower that came up, or whether it was snowdrops in the spring, or love in a mist in uh, in this time of year, it made me think of the people that I associated with that, or the events, such as you know I'd planted some agapanthus around a, a little leaved lime tree to remind me of my time that I was in Kenya, which is also reflected in this book, by the way. Oh. Um, just a, a snippet of it, anyway. And I thought, 
I want something to remember this garden by because I know that the people coming in will make changes as, as you would expect them to do. And it won't be the same after this. But I wanted to capture all of it in both images. So I took photographs at different times of the year. And then I sat down um, before and during COVID and wrote the poems to go with those images about the how your choice of plants and your choice of flowers uh, are inspired by past events or people that you've known, you know, because many people, for example, get given pot plants or used to be given pot plants and they would put them in their, in what they called their friend's garden. And that's what a lot of people will associate with. Um, and there were lots of polyanthus and hyacinths, <laughs> all the favourites that would, would normally go in that sort of space. Um, but I, yes, I, I wanted to capture a moment in time, which is the garden looking at its best before I left, so that it's not lost. Um, so that was the second book of poetry. Peter, you and I could talk and talk and talk. I enjoy you so much. You are such a Renaissance man. I love your views. I love how you see things. I love how you put your views in words. I love your prose. Your poetry is beautiful. This has just been a delight for me. Thank you so very much for being my guest today. It's been a pleasure. And for me too, Suzanne. Always a pleasure. And um, yes. Uh, I, I wish, I hope your readers, your listeners, are um, not put off by <laughs> anything that they've heard. <laughs> I don't see how they could be. I mean, it, listening to someone with that wonderful creative brain that you have talk about their work with, uh, you hear the passion in your voice as you talk about your work, and. I think that's one of the most important things about an auditory interview is that a person listening to this interview will hear it differently than if they're watching an interview because they will focus a lot more on the words and they'll hear a lot more of the passion from the author. And I think you just did that wonderfully. So this is just mm. terrific. And I want our, our listeners to remember that you can find all of Peter's work on Amazon, and the one we really were talking about today, is the second in his Learning Experience Trilogy. The title of the book, again, is Moose Conquering Fear. The first book in the trilogy is Nipper, and the last book in the trilogy is Know Your Mind. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. I hope that you will also listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio and Stitcher. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I hope you'll join us for my next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here or what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening. <laughs>